It's important to know. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale is solely a reimagining of the novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and not the 1939 film or any other iteration of the story. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episodes 21 and 21-2 Chapters 31 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, Krista And Chapter 12 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz The Search for the Wicked Witch This week may have went back to the original three-episode format, but it certainly feels like anything but. I think this week's episodes were two of the longest, so we should probably get on with the story. Last week, Chapter 30 ended with a pretty big cliffhanger. In fact, I think it may have been the most cliffhangery of the book so far. Dorothy made it into the Black Tower, only to find a bunch of naked munchkins wandering around a large industrial floor made up of giant gears, chains, and levers. This week picks up exactly where that one left off. I have to admit, I think the arrival of Krista is somewhat anticlimactic. All that build-up, and it's just a little old lady being lowered in a cage. Still, though, I love this chapter overall. I think I may have mentioned this before, and if I did, I apologize for the redundancy. The name Krista is a combination of names from my past. This trend of using names similar to people I feel have wronged me continues in the sequel Darker Days of Dorothy Gale as well. The description of Krista is that of a foul hag. I wanted her to be easily imagined and instantly recognizable. The nose that curls to the point at which it almost touches her bottom lip is my favorite detail. This week is dialogue-heavy, with my most unique set of voices yet. Usually I would go into detail on my choice of voice here. I would tell you what obscure artist or comedian I attempted to mimic. This week, however, is different. I didn't model Krista's voice on anyone. Any similarities to a real voice or a real character are purely coincidental, or at the very least, accidental. I wanted something thick and almost wet. I wanted it to sound old and maybe even unassuming, but still effectively sinister. I neglected to give her green skin in my book, Notice, she doesn't have green skin in the wonderful Wizard of Oz either, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. She lives in a dingy black tower, hiding away in isolation from the sun. If anything, I should have described her as even more pale. I like the idea that she's ready to die. Her inability to commit suicide, and the idea that she found that out the hard way, is meant to invoke sympathy from the readers and listeners. 
The same goes for hearing her story of betrayal. I don't know if I was successful in getting anyone to care about her, but nevertheless, that was the idea and intention. There isn't a lot of history about her other than how she came to be the ruler of the desert. I've never seen or read Wicked. I assume it's more of a feminist manifesto meant to empower women. I don't say that as a slight against it by any means. And again, I've never read it or seen it, so I could be completely off base in that assumption. This isn't canon, but if I were going to write a story about my version of the Wicked Witch of the West, I would want it to be tragic. A story of manipulation that results in psychological damage. A story of heartache and loneliness. Instead of a story of a triumphant rise to power. Maybe a look at the intense trauma that comes with prolonged isolation. We do get a little bit of that here. She tells Dorothy that the wizard claimed he needed her, and that she was the only one that could help him. We see the return of the lion in this chapter as well. He's malnourished and weak. Dorothy takes pity on him and shares her food, enough for him to regain some of his strength. We also find out that this is a long period of time, almost a month, and we don't really know for sure how long the lion has been here before Dorothy showed up. Time in Oz is a bit of a strange construct anyway. Fink and Frank, the Munchkin brothers from the beginning of the book, don't seem to age because they're in the gray fields. Reginald is still a seemingly spry young man, despite being in Oz longer than the wizard. Krista is weathered and worn despite being in the gray desert. And Mombi didn't seem to age either, though we know she has the ability to shapeshift, looking back on her appearance in the seamstress chapter. So maybe she just keeps herself young through magic. And so far, we don't have a true description of the man or woman behind the wizard. The point is, well, you know what? I'm not entirely sure what the point is. Kind of lost track there. Oh, but before I forget, if anyone listening to this is a new listener who skipped the first 30 chapters and only listened to the Halfway Home recap, welcome aboard. I'm happy to have you here, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. I realized after I recorded the recap that I mentioned the seamstress and I mentioned the creation of the Scarecrow but I never really put those two together for context. Mombi told the seamstress that her husband was a bad hombre, and that's why she killed him. The seamstress then went on to make the scarecrow. Sort of a Pinocchio type of thing. Anyway, moving on. Dorothy helps the lion recuperate. Krista here desperately wants to be a capitalist lion tamer as she has fancy plans for the lion. It's just a shame she doesn't have pants to match. Otherwise, she might have been successful. She wants to harness him, but since Dorothy has been helping him, he has the strength to continue fighting her off. After she continually fails to harness the lion, she comes to the conclusion that Dorothy must be her replacement. 
we are introduced to the winged monkeys here as well. Look, I know. There's a difference between a monkey and an ape. Sometimes I call them apes or ape men. Sometimes I call them monkeys or monkey-like men. To that I say, it's my book. Maybe in Oz there's no distinction between monkeys and apes. Maybe only one exists. And the word monkey is interchangeable with ape. So, yeah. Anyway, these guys mean business. Dorothy also notices they have scabbed over lumps on their backs. Curious, no? Dorothy is pinned to the ground here by the two monkey apes as Krista attempts to cut off her finger. It's here that we see getting that ring is not as easy as she thought. We also see that Krista is just not that bright. Why go for the finger? Why not just use the knife to kill Dorothy? Probably because it would end the story prematurely. I suppose you could say that since Krista thought Dorothy was her replacement, that she was just flat out not allowed to kill her. Either way, her plan fails. Dorothy is presumably about to be sexually assaulted by the ape creatures and begins kicking and screaming as she tries to fight back. In the process, she kicks a bucket of water into Krista's face, and that is pretty much the end of that witch. She begins melting and steaming and bubbling and boiling. Dorothy gains the upper hand, gets Krista's knife, and with the help of the lion, finally puts an end to Krista's life. I want to point out that the lion in my book is obviously not like the lion in Baum's version. If I haven't addressed this already, I'm going to go ahead and do it now. He doesn't talk. He will never talk. And his form of cowardice is different than Baum's form of cowardice. It's almost more a fear of being alone, as well as a general fear of whatever the world has to threaten him with. He follows the woodman, presumably out of fear. We can probably also assume he's doing a lot of things for the woodman simply because he's a fearful follower of his deranged master. His loyalty, however, only goes so far, though. He did run away instead of helping the woodman when the wolves showed up, after all. Dorothy basically tells him to kill Krista, and he does. And then he becomes her follower. As they leave, the monkeys give Dorothy a band or bracelet once worn by Krista. This is where my video game influence rears its head yet again. I've mentioned Silent Hill multiple times, but I would be lying. <laughs> Get it? Get it? Lion? Because she saved the lion? Okay, well, let's move on. Anyways, I'd be lying if I said my influence is stopped with a couple of horror franchises. I don't think Dark Days exists without games like Elder Scrolls Oblivion or Skyrim, those vast open worlds with their long quest lines that result in a new power or special weapon are quite possibly the only reason I knew how to write this kind of story. People are always surprised when they find out I'm not really a huge fan of fantasy worlds. I've never been able to get into Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. My enjoyment of fantasy is largely restricted to the aforementioned Oblivion and Skyrim. 
Anyway, Dorothy has added the lion to her party, and together they have defeated the boss. Dorothy gets the bracelet. It binds itself to her, much like the ring, and... Nothing. She forgives the monkey apes, and they grow new wings and fly away. Upon returning to the Land of Colors, she finds Mister is gone. She also finds that she now has the ability to free the lion from the Grey Desert because of that fancy new jewelry she got from that wicked, wicked witch. So together, they set off to find her lost friend. Chapter 12 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Search for the Wicked Witch, is a story packed with adventure and suitable for all ages. It features wolves being slaughtered, crows being massacred, bees having their stings broken, and winkies being beaten badly with a strap, not to mention a young girl being held captive, and a lion being starved, and a small dog being hit with an old umbrella. <laughs> let's, let's get into this. There's, there's a lot to talk about. I tried to regain a little bit of credit by bringing my story back to the realm of Baum's world. Dorothy and company are first met on the way to the Wicked Witch by wolves. She and Toto and the lion are sound asleep when the attack happens. The woodman bravely stands tall and kills the wolves with his sharp axe. I just want to point out that I'm a pretty sound sleeper, but I don't think I could sleep through a pack of wolves attacking and being killed in the night. Maybe I could if I was sick and heavily medicated with a couple of unhealthy doses of NyQuil or something. Of course, the next day, the woodman has some splaining to do. Imagine waking up and there's a pile of dead animals right by where you were sleeping. I'd be a little freaked out, and I'm a 37-year-old man. They kind of shrug off this attack and continue on their way. My woodman, while vicious and strong, of course, was no match for the wolves. Next, we get to the crows. The scarecrow steps up and kills them all. Not super different from my story. The basic idea that he's suited for killing birds is the same anyway. After the woodman demonstrates his powers against the wolves and the scarecrow his powers against the crows, we get... The bees. The two combine their strengths, the scarecrow's intelligence that he uh, doesn't think he has, and the woodman's ability to... not be stung, I guess. The ever-so-valiant scarecrow volunteers to have his straw removed and used to cover his comrades, while the woodman takes it like a champ. The next wave, of course is the Winkies. Finally, something for the lion to do. He roars! That's it. He roars, and they run away. Of course, all this time, we are getting a look at how wicked the witch is. We get a little bit of a description of her as well. She has one eye, and it can see for miles like a telescope. And she doesn't much care for trespassers. We get a little bit of dialogue between her and the wolves. We see her getting more frustrated with each defeat. And finally, after she has exhausted all her other options, she decides the only way to get rid of Dorothy and her friends 
is to put a bunch of poisonous snakes on a plane that will be transporting Dorothy home. It's a crazy plan, but she's pretty confident. No? Okay. Well, a guy can dream, can't he? Anyway, instead she enlists the help of the winged monkeys. She has a magic hat that enables her to command them three times. Because that makes way more sense than my snake idea, but, you know, whatever. They inform her that this is the last time she can call on them. She tells them to bring her the lion. Get rid of the kid, the tin guy, and the straw man while they're at it. They capture the lion, do away with the scarecrow by ripping him apart and throwing his remains in a tree, and drop the tin woodman onto some pretty nasty sharp rocks. He can no longer move or groan. That's rough. Dorothy, however, is safe. The apes see that she has been blessed by good magic, and since good magic overpowers evil magic, they aren't about to mess with her. So instead, they just pick her up and drop her off with the witch before saying their goodbyes. Not only does Dorothy bear the mark of the good witch, but she has the shoes. The shoes, I say. They have some sort of power that the witch really, really wants. She takes a look into Dorothy's eyes and sees just how simple the child's skull is. I mean, soul is. How does that old saying go again? I can't, I can't tell you that. <laughs> Mr. Matthew, I know it. I, I didn't say that. You didn't have to. The eyes are the windows to the skull, my friend. <laughs> soul. For those who have one, yes. If you get that reference and you know where that audio comes from, you're A-OK in my book. And I promise, I'll never try to steal your shoes. And if I do try to steal them, I will return them in time, when you're ready for them. Well, I'm not actually a thief. Really? Does that mean you're going to give Matthew his shoes back? <laughs> when he's ready for them. Great. Dorothy is unaware that the Wicked Witch is after her slippers. And the witch, who is not about to hurt the kid blessed by good magic, is gonna have to come up with some pretty crafty ideas to get him. I pointed out earlier that the witch is not green in Baum's book. She also doesn't have a name, either. I assume the green witch is a product of Technicolor, and the desire to show off the technology. I'm not complaining, just offering my thoughts on the reason for her iconic green appearance. And I would also like to point out that whenever you see some other iteration of the story, she's likely green because the author is more interested in sharing a connection to the film than the book. Or maybe not even read the book in general. I suppose at this point, though, if you don't make her green on screen or stage for that matter, your audience is going to be a little upset, because let's face it, there's more people now than ever that have seen the film and not read the original source material. And that, my dear listener, makes you pretty gosh darn special. Enough of my pretentious complaining, though. I've never noticed it before, 
But I guess if you were to apply real-world race to a fictional realm, the Wicked Witch might be... Mexican? Or maybe... Middle Eastern? I'm not trying to sound racist, but there are two points in which Baum notes her color. She melts away like brown sugar, and she leaves a brown mess on the floor after she is melted. Either way, race or no race, I think it's safe to say she wasn't green, but instead was brown. Okay, now I'm done with my pretentious complaining. This is pretty much the most gruesome bomb gets in his story, which is understandable because, again, it's for kids. But also, kind of gruesome, considering it's for kids. I do love that Dorothy, after realizing she made a mess with the witch, proceeds to clean up after herself. Kind of. By pouring water on the floor and sweeping it out the door. As a janitor, this annoys me. That just spreads the mess. Get a mop. Soak it up. Wring it out. Soak it up again. Wring it out again. Those Winkies don't want that staining their castle floor. Dorothy and the lion are now free, so all that's left to do is find and save the rest of their party. These chapters are obviously not a one-to-one adaptation, but I feel they're pretty close overall. I left out the bees. Krista was presumably not the one sending out the waves of baddies to stop Dorothy. Remember, She assumes the wizard is sending people to aid her in her desire to die. It's just unfortunate for her that none of them are able to get to her because of those pesky wolves and crows. And if you're saying, Why didn't she just send the monkeys after Dorothy like she did with the lion? Well, it's worth noting that she had no use for Dorothy. She didn't have that replacement theory until after she realized Dorothy had the magic ring. And that took her like 29 and a half days to figure out. The lion, on the other hand, had a purpose, presumably to attempt to ride him out of the desert. It's safe to say the woodman was wrong. If Krista knew Dorothy tried to get into the desert, she wasn't concerned, and certainly not fueled by vengeance. Mister was left behind because he didn't accompany her in the source material. The woodman was left behind for the same reason. I thought my version would benefit from him being torn apart by the wolves and strung up instead of being carried off by the winged monkeys. To me, it was logical. You get the wolf reference and you get him out of the way as well. The lion wins with the most accurate adaptation, though. He was carried away by the monkeys starved by Krista, attempted to be harnessed, and saved by Dorothy. And the melting of the witch is something that just couldn't be avoided. You tell this story, she has to melt. That's really all there is to it. And again, I think Baum's description is actually fairly graphic, considering it's 120-some years old. My version, of course, went a bit farther with the foul white smoke and the Sweat popping out of every pore and the bubbling and the boiling, etc. A little worse than brown sugar. I think that about covers the compare and contrast for this week's chapters. 
If I missed anything or didn't address something you would like addressed, you can always hit me up on Twitter where I'm at DarkDorothyG or email me at darkdaysofdorothygale at outlook.com. And if you're interested, I do actually have a personal Twitter account as well. But you'll have to find that for yourself, if you haven't already. It's mostly news radio fan fiction at this point, because news radio is awesome, and if you don't like it, you're dead to me. Okay, maybe not dead, but I certainly won't be inviting you to meet the dogs at Fort Awesome anytime soon. So come back next week for another standard three-episode week. It will be Chapter 32 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, The Search for Mister, and Chapter 13 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Rescue. And I feel like I don't really need to say this at this point, but there will also be the usual Aftermath episode to accompany those episodes as well. Thanks for listening. I love you all.